Colossians chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So as Paul now continues, with, which is now we know, the last chapter of the book, when he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, I have uh, there in your notes, the word if simply means in view of the fact. In other words, since this is true, since you have been raised with Christ, now this is how you are to live. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So when he says that, again, what he's getting back to is this identity that we have in Christ. So this identity that we have in Christ is, is, is supposed to be that which basically colors our entire view of all of our life. All right. So he's not telling you here, seek the things that are above and don't even for a minute think about anything on earth. That's not what he's talking about. All right. The idea is, is that, number one, when it comes to what we seek, the priority, the priority is to be those things that are of God. What would that be? Well, that would be you and I becoming more like Christ. That would be living obedience to what God has said. So that doesn't mean then that if you are, let's say you're young and you're trying to plan out your career, that's not wrong to do that. You want to do that. You might decide where you're going to go to school because what you want to get your degree in. You have all your plans for those things that you want to accomplish. That's okay. However, as a believer, you do that through the lens of the Word of God. That, then mean, that would then mean several different kinds of things. So number one, that would then mean that when you're in school, no matter how hard it gets, you don't cheat. Right? Because you're a Christian. You want to achieve these things through the normal path. You want to, whether it's hard work, hard study, whatever, that's how you're going to pursue those things. You want to make sure that whatever you're pursuing, uh, that as you gain knowledge or as you gain your degree, you're not going to use it in such a way that would either be illegal or immoral or unethical. Right? Because you're looking at life, your life through the lens of Scripture. My goal is to glorify the Lord with my life, with all of my pursuits in the way that I pursue them. So again, don't think that somehow what this really means is, because this is how people back in the 1600s, 1500s sometimes would think, and that is that if I pursue the things of Christ the way that the Bible says, then I pursue nothing on earth. And as I mentioned, I mentioned last week about there was a period of time where there were a lot of monks, and these monks would kind of go out in the desert and they would you know, meditate or do whatever. And the idea was, is that was the highest thing that God has called us to do, and it's not. That is not what God's called us to do. And most definitely, God has not called us to go and live alone. 
right? The Christian life, when you read through the Bible, is meant to be lived within a community. God himself said in the very beginning of the Bible that it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, we are social beings. God has created a community for us. He's created our family, which again comes out of the book of Genesis. He's created the church, and the church is often referred to as what? Family of God. There's that, the idea of the relationships that we have. So then as a Christian, because of my identity with Christ then, that colors everything that I do. Everything is through that lens. Um, so now things aren't always going to be crystal clear as far as should I do this or should I do that. Right? That's where some people sometimes can become confused. They say, well, I want to know what the will of God is. And if I can know what the will of God like, like, let's say this. So the guy's trying to decide, should I go to this school or this school or this school? I want to know which one God wants me to go to. If I'm already out of school and let's say I've been offered three jobs, and I, do, I, do I take job A, do I take job B, or do I take job C? So when it comes to that, we often will pray, and then this is where we can get in trouble. We start looking for signs. We start looking for signs when we pray. Don't do that. Because what will happen is, is almost always, maybe always, but almost always, you're going to see whatever you want to see as a sign point to whatever you want it to point to. Because God doesn't do that. He used to do all those types of things. He says that in Hebrews. He doesn't do that now. So like someone, someone might be saying, well, I, I prayed and I wanted to know which school God wanted me to go to. And I looked up in the sky and the clouds seemed to form the letter G. It's Georgia. <laughs> he wants you to go to Georgia. Well, how do you, how do you know that? Right, maybe it was George Mason. And he wanted you to go there. Or maybe it was, you know, Georgetown. You want you to go there? I mean, how do, how do you know that? You don't know that, all right? And, you know, if you kept watching the clouds, what if that G had suddenly turned into an S? Oh, I, I go to Stanford? Uh, do I, you know, and if you keep watching, then it, then it dis dissipates. That means no school. I mean, it's just, you know, what ha you know so we can get in trouble that way. Uh, I was with a young lady once. She was engaged to get married. Um, the wedding was planned for the next day. We're at a reception. We're at, no, it's not called the reception party. What is it when the, when the crew, rehearsal dinner, there you go, the crew, rehearsal dinner. And so we're standing at this hotel waiting for the elevator. And then all of a sudden she says, well, if the elevator on the right opens up first, that means I should get married. And if the elevator on the left opens up first, that means I don't get married. And I said, really? I said, is that how you think God's going to communicate this to you? After all this time and saying yes to this individual and going through all the checklists, it now comes down to which elevator opens first. And I said, I also noticed that the one on the right, which is the yes elevator, looks like it's going to get here first. But what if somebody decides to catch a flight and that thing gets stuck on floor two? Are you really going to call off the wedding if that one opens first? And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, well, then don't say that. I said, that's just, that's foolishness when we do that. So what happens is, is sometimes we have to get, you know, we're, we, we've been caught up in our culture in this idea that, I, I'm not sure how to describe it. I don't know what phrase to use. Uh, maybe we can call it ultra-spirituality, which is not a real thing. But the idea that we want everything to be, oh, yeah, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. God's not telling you to do that, okay? So this is what happens. So you know what I would tell the individual who's trying to decide which three schools? Which one do you want to go to? 
You've checked them all out. Which one do you want to go to? If you don't know, then you don't know. But if you, if you, if you had, if, you, if the choice was yours, which one do you want to go to? Say, well, I want to go that way. I say, well, then go there. Go there. You'll be all right. If God really doesn't want you to go there, if it's his will for you not to go there, you'll never make it. You know? The car will crash on the freeway. And you'll get out and you look at your broke down car and, you know, whatever. But the idea is just pick the one you want. All right? That's not, that is not unspiritual. That's not. It's not unspiritual. Um, so we have to, so if you're, if you're living your life and you're, and you're growing as a Christian and you are reading the word of God and you do the normal things that we're supposed to do as Christians when we receive counsel from others, we, we want to make sure we make a decision based on what the word of God says. So I would say this to an individual. I was talking to a young Christian man one time, and he was trying to decide which school to go to. He had it boiled down to two schools. And so I said, okay, he said, I just don't know which one God wants you to go to. And I said, well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. I, I knew kind of something was up with this one school. I said, why do you want to go to that school? Why is that one of the, one of the two? What's the real reason? And he kind of hem and hauled around. I said, I'm not going to tell your parents. He said, well, it's a good party school. I said, well, there we go. I said, so do you believe that God wants you, as you pursue righteousness as a believer, for you to go to a school that's known as a party school because that's what you want to do? He said, well, probably not. I said, take out the word probably. It's not where he wants you to go. Because in your mind, you've already determined that that's why that's in the running, because that's what you want to do. I said, that's not why you go to school. Every school has parties, but you're going to the one that's known as the party school. I said, so don't go there. I said, because you're going you're gonna to mess up. I said, because you're kind of already planning to mess up. All right, that's already in your, in your, in your goal. And, uh, of course, in the end, he did not listen to me. He went there, and before he finished his first year, he had already dropped out because he was getting Fs because he was spending all his time at parties. Uh, and so he did exactly what he wanted to do, and that was just not a good decision. So we make decisions. We want to make sure we're in the Word of God. We want to use the wisdom that God gives us. The Bible also tells us that we should honor our father and mother. So you want to ask them, unless they're just total losers, uh, you want to ask their advice. And then also the Bible tells us that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. So you want to seek counsel. And then if you go through the rest of the New Testament, you seek counsel from who, what? Godly people. And then you weigh all those things. And then, you, and then you make your decision. And you ask God to give you wisdom. You ask God to give you clarity. All right, so then when you pick that school... You can say, I picked the school because I believe this is what God wanted. But what you don't say is, God told me to go here. Huge difference between those two things. So you can say, I believe God wants me to go here. Or you can also say, I wanted to go here. There's nothing wrong with that. Neither one of those is more or less spiritual than the other. Because right? sometimes we want to we somehow either make something sound better than it is or use it as a cop-out to get out of responsibility by saying, well, God told me to do that. I don't know why. You know, and now I've been kicked out of school. I have no idea what happened. Well, I do. Let's, ask, let's answer a few questions. We'll figure it out real quick. So the thing is, is that when it comes to what he's telling us here, all right, again, we are seeking to live a life that pleases and honors the Lord. And, and what that life looks like is not determined by tradition or even by what you feel is determined by what the Bible says. And it really is, I think, for most part, it's very straightforward. Right? And, so, and, and we're given a lot of freedom to make decisions. We are. God gives us a lot of freedom. 
to make those decisions. And so, we, and so you can make those decisions. But this is to be our guiding principle. All right, so the guiding principle is, is because of this union, this relationship that I have with Christ then, I want to make sure that what I am seeking are those things that are honoring to God and I'm seeking it in a way that honors God. And that's how you live your Christian life. So that takes, that actually gives you a whole lot of freedom and eliminates a lot of angst in trying to worry that I make the right choice. Like somehow God's going to get you if you haven't made the right choice. So we want to make sure that we're thinking correctly. Now, thinking correctly can be hard and thinking biblically can be hard, especially for a newer believer. That's why we seek the counsel of who? Older, godly people. That's why we do that. And hopefully they will uh, help us think through the scripture and, and ask questions uh, that will enable us to think very well about whatever it is that we want to pursue and that kind of thing. So again, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So then he goes on in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. So he's now really explaining in more detail what he was talking about in verse 1. Verse 2 tells us, set your minds. That means that's, that, that's your mindset. That's what you're thinking on. That's what's guiding your thoughts is this. I set my mind on these things. I don't just allow my mind to drift and daydream. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of arresting my mind, the energy of my mind, and I am thinking in a way that, that uh, is going to please the Lord, thinking through things as a believer. So again, my mind is set on things that are above. So again, that's not some mystical thing, but that is another way of talking about that I want to set my mind on things that are godly, things that are going to honor Christ, things that are going to honor God in what I pursue. Then he explains to us again how it is that we're able to do that. Okay, because there's a lot of competition inside of you when it comes to the direction you want your life to go in. Remember that we're still living in the flesh. The flesh is weak. Right? We're, we're all living in a world that's been cursed by sin. And we're, we've been told in the Bible to kind of rein in our, our passions, our desires. Our passions and desires in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong. But you don't live by them, especially you don't live by them if they are not reined in by what? Me being submissive to what the Word of God says. All right, that's, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be living. That's the idea here. So he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When he says your life is hidden, that doesn't mean you're playing hide, hide and go seek, obviously. What he's talking about there is that we are, in a sense, cloaked by God. Everything about me is to be godly. Right? Everything about me is to be godly. So again, that doesn't mean that you have to wear a monk's robe, you don't have to wear a 40-pound silver cross, and you don't have to carry around a 65-pound Bible, right, to appear to be spiritual, right? That's not what it's talking about. The idea is that you live your life pursuing righteousness, right? You live your life doing what's right, doing what's moral, just following what the Bible says, making wise decisions, period. That's just, that's what you do. Um, and it's not really that hard but we, have to, but we do have to make it a habit that we are thinking our way through life. Because we do live in a day and age when there's not a whole lot of that always going on. Right? There's not a whole lot of thinking about what we do. Just watch sometimes the kind of videos that people put, whether I don't, I don't have TikTok, but I've seen some TikTok videos. 
and I've seen what people do on YouTube and all the rest, and it's clear that they weren't thinking. No one's thinking about either the consequences or whatever. They're just kind of doing whatever, whether it's for laughs or kicks, whatever. And sometimes individuals will pay the price. You know, like I've, I saw a video, there was a guy on the roof of his house, and I guess he thought it'd be cool to flip off the roof and land on his back in the middle of a folding table. And so he did. And the folding table did what you expected it to do. It collapsed. And everybody was laughing. And he got up, and he was kind of sore, but he was laughing. They put another table there, and his friend did the same thing. Problem is, his friend didn't get up. He had to call the ambulance, because he'd broken his back. And uh, in case you were wondering, that will affect you for the rest of your life. <laughs> All right? It's just, you know, as people do those types of things. Uh, and it's not just limited to people who are young. We, it often is, but it's never limited to them. People who are older do this, can do dumb things as well. So again, when he tells us we have died, and he's going to bring this up again, the idea is that we have died to our passions, meaning you still have them, but they no longer have power over you to dictate your life. You have power over them. Right? We're, spo we're supposed to be living a disciplined life. A disciplined life does not mean that you live a life that's boring. Right? That's what the world says. The world keeps telling you, though. Oh, yeah. oh so you're not allowed to do anything. What? Okay, what are you talking about? Not allowed to do anything. You mean like I'm not allowed to jump off a roof and land on the folding table on my back? Yeah, I don't want to do that. All right. You know, I don't know if, it's, if the word allowed is the right word or not, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I know, I know I've done dumb things. I've jumped off the roof of a house into a pool, but I did think about it. I knew for a fact I could clear the cement. All right. So, you know, and I had not been drinking. All right. See, if you're drinking, you may not be able to do anything. So, you know, of course, people say, you did that sober? I said, well, you don't want to do that drunk. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, but I, never, I never went drinking. It, just never, it was never appealing. So I was sober, but I did that. Now, was that, yeah, I guess it was risky. All right. But the idea is, is that God wants us to live a disciplined life. So it doesn't have to mean your life is boring. It doesn't mean you can't do anything where you take risk. Now, there's lots of things we do that take risk. You play certain sports, you take risk. All right. But the bottom line is, is, is that my life is not defined by those things. I don't just live by those, in, in, in those things apart from what God says. So again, you can be absolutely committed to something as a Christian. You can be. All right? so, so we want to make sure we're not allowing the devil to, to cause us to misunderstand what this is. You can be committed to be an individual who wants to climb all of the tallest mountains in the world. And that requires a huge commitment. Money, training, all the rest. And you can do that. And you can do that as a Christian. Right? There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do that. All right? However, several things along with that. Um, and, and so we want to make sure that we are, again, following what the Bible says. That we never are acting like a non-believer. We're not doing anything illegal or unethical or immoral. Uh, what we do, we want to make sure we honor the Lord with everything that we do. Um, and we want to make sure that we don't fall into the habit where we just tack on a Bible verse to what we do and somehow declare it to be righteous or sanctified or Christian. Just tacking on a verse doesn't always necessarily mean that. It can, so be careful, don't just judge people who do that because they, 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 re, they may actually be an individual who know that really is my, the verse I want to follow with my life. That really is what that is. But we want to make sure we don't turn the Bible into just a religious form of motivational speech. Right, so example, for an example, there's a, uh, 
a poster you can get if you want. And it's a guy who's climbing Mount Everest. And the verse is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay. If I go out right now and try to climb Mount Everest, and I claim that as my verse, what I guarantee you is I will not make it to the top of Mount Everest. In fact, I'm not sure how high I'll get, because after a while I won't be able to breathe, because the air is very, very thin. I'm not in the greatest shape to be able to climb a mountain. All right, I'm kind of past the age uh, that most people would do that. There may be a few around my age who can do that, but especially if you haven't done any training, which I've done zero. So that verse does not mean that, what, it, what people use it for. That, that is horrible. That's horrific. Uh, when people, and I really hate it when people do that kind of stuff. And, and there are those who do that. They mean well, and they've never really thought about it. So, I, you know, you, I, don't want, I don't go around accusing individuals who do that of being evil. You know, I don't walk, if I walk into someone's house and they have that poster, I don't go, you evil individual. I don't do that. All right? But I am disappointed. And I do think that sometimes, not always, sometimes, that may reveal maybe a lack of maturity with the Bible. A lack of maturity of understanding what the Bible is about, what it's for. So there's a lot that goes into that. That's why teaching the Word of God and trying to be faithful to what God has said is really very important in the church. Because if you don't, that's what you get. And that's where, and that's where a lot of people are, uh, is that kind of, that, that's the kind of way that they use the Bible. And so it, it becomes like a, like a lucky charm. It, it becomes more of a positive thinking kind of a thing. And I'm not against thinking positive. I'm, I'm, I think I tend to be actually very optimistic about most, most things. Uh, in fact, so much so that it bugs people um, uh, because I'm so optimistic. But the bottom line is I'm not denying reality. But we, but we don't use the Bible or Bible verses, especially stripping them out of context, just to be motivational or inspiring, making me feel like, oh, yeah, I have more energy to do that now because I read that verse. Uh, that's, that's not what it's about. And there's a ton of what we call parachurch organizations. Those are ministries that are not necessarily affiliated with the church. There's a lot of those organizations that do that kind of stuff. And it's just very disappointing uh, when that happens. And that's very popular uh, in our society. And so we have to be, we, we need to be very, very careful. So again, yes, someone said something? Or no, yes. Of course you do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, just because you read the Bible and get strengthened, it doesn't mean you're using the Bible as a motivational thing. All right, that's what I'm talking about, is that type of thing. Um, if, in fact, uh, well, yeah, which, which is, again, that whole idea of climbing Mount Everest, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I'll say, well, then, why don't you just swim the channel between Oahu and Maui? It's filled with tiger sharks now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I ask people, is that what that means? They go, well, I, I, well, I, mean, I, I, I don't think so. Oh, but it means that for the mountain. I say, I mean, it's just, you know, what happens is we're, we're doing what we want to do, and we just have to be careful with that. So as a Christian, we don't want people to, to be able to manipulate us into maybe thinking in a particular way or doing things maybe we shouldn't do or what have you, or of minimizing really what the Word of God says. That's, to me, I think it's probably the main problem is we begin to diminish the reality of the wisdom that comes from Scripture because we're using it in a very superficial way. 
So again, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's reminding us of the ultimate. Okay, I've died with Christ. My life is hidden with Christ. Uh, when Christ, who is my life, when he appears, he's my life. Okay, I'm alive because of Christ. Everything in my life is to be guided by Christ. He is my reason for existence. My identity is in Christ. So Christ is my life. People say the same kind of thing. They say, well, my life is my kids. We, we understand what that means, right? It means their life revolves around their kids. It's not a sin necessarily to say that, but as a Christian, what we know is, even if my life is my kids, if I'm a believer, I'm going to do that in a way that what? Honors the Lord. I understand the responsibilities that I have as a Christian. So when my kids are my life, that means I don't let them do whatever they want. Right? I discipline them. My responsibility. So I'm, you know, now because I'm old, I have all these grandchildren. And so my grandchildren are my life. They bring me joy. They bring me happiness. I mean, it's just all great. But I do not let them do whatever they want. Do I spoil them? I do sometimes. And I choose specifically how I spoil them. But I don't give them whatever they want all the time. They'd be foolish. Well, that's for sure. And they already know that. I told my granddaughter once, my oldest, she's now married, but when she was six, she was just really, it was a bad three days. And so I said, Alexa, I said, you are about to make Papa really sad. And she said, why? I said, because I have never had to spank any of my grandchildren. And you are getting close because of the way that you talk to your mom and the way you talk to your grandmother and the way you talk to your brothers. And if I have to spank you, that will make me very, very sad. But I will. And she looked at me and she put her hands on my cheeks. She says, Papa, I don't want to make you sad. I said, oh, good. <laughs> I said, so are you going to do better? She said, yes. I'm like, yes. Now let's go have ice cream. So, you know, so the thing is, is that so they are my life, but I'm a Christian. That's still the guiding thing. That's above all of these things. So it's not, so it's not an either or situation. Again, that's what the world does, right? The world wants to diminish or discount or somehow make the Bible appear to be something it's not. They want to make it appear like it's a chain around your neck and you can't do anything. It is a chain around your neck when it comes to you committing sin. But it's not a heavy chain around your neck. It's to make life full and fun and joyous and, all, and holy and all the rest. And so we want to make sure that we don't somehow begin to think it's an either-or situation. It's not either-or situation unless it's somehow sinful. So moving on. Oh, stop there before we can move on. End of, end of verse 4. Then you will also appear with him in glory. So as we, as we are reminded about this identification we have with Christ, remember there's still this future when Christ appears in glory, meaning that there's a time coming that when he reappears, everything that's about him that is true will be known by everybody. Okay? All of the glory that is his will be revealed and everyone will recognize it. All right? When that time comes... I will be with him. All right? That's, this, this is a guarantee that I have. So whatever it is I may think I'm giving up or losing out on in this world, which we're not, but if I'm thinking that, I'm being reminded of this great glory that is coming in the future, and I'm a part of that. Now, in a sinful way, 
People do this all the time, all right? So if you hear, you hear individuals say these kinds of things. So when it comes to celebrities, someone may say that they know such and such celebrity and call them by their first name. And, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to establish themselves as being a close friend, etc., of this celebrity. So the glory of their celebrityness shines on me and I'm elevated. Oh yeah, I know him. So if I knew there's that guy, he used to wrestle now, he's a movie star. The Rock, okay. So let's say that that uh, The Rock, his name is Dwayne Johnson. So let's say, oh yeah, me and Dwayne, yeah, we sometimes we, we go out, we go four-wheeling or whatever. And so what happens is I'm trying to impress others who will think, whoa, you go. So they're not impressed I go four-wheeling. How kind of people do that? You go four-wheeling with him. You know him. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, and you don't. I don't say that, but that's kind of the impression, right? So now I'm a cut above because of who I'm with. That's the idea. And that's a sinful way of doing that. People do that all the time. You know, like I know, so like they'll say, oh, I, you know, oh yeah, I know the mayor. Yeah, we are on first name basis. Because it depends on if people like the mayor. If they don't like the mayor, we go, oh yeah, I don't know him. But anyway, <laughs> but the idea is, is that, you know, we try to do these things to elevate ourselves. So what it is, is with Christ, though, there really is an elevation. Now, there's nothing for us to brag about because we haven't done anything. But the bottom line is, there's this very real glory that's going to be revealed in the future, that's going to radically change everything, and I'm a part of that. And that's going to be awesome. That's going to be fantastic. Kind of like when, uh, what companies try to do when they hire uh, individuals in, the, in these big companies. Let's say the company's expanding, and they've hired you to be part of some kind of project. What they want you to do is they want you to use a certain word all the time, we. When you speak of the company and yourself, you use the word we. Because you so identify with this company and their goals and their expansion and their greatness. You say, oh yeah, we're, you know, we, we've, invest, we've invested you know, um, $100 million in, uh, in Savannah. We're going to really rebuild some things. It's all we. And again, you've associated yourself with this company, what it's doing, which is good, a good thing to do. You are committed to that. You're in that. You're involved in the process. But again, we're trying to you know, kind of bleed off some of that glory for ourselves so people will think highly of us. All right, so same kind of thing. The difference is, though, is that when it comes to Christ, it really is all good. It really is all about him. Nobody's going to mistake that we're him because they won't. And so when it comes to the life we live now, that is our future, and that is to affect our attitude. And I would even venture on to say that our, our level of commitment then should be included in that or should at least take that into consideration. Yes, ma'am. No, because all, because all the boasting is about him, not about you, right? Yeah. yeah. Some people have turned that around, and they say they're boasting about the Lord, but they're really bragging about themselves. You have to be careful of that. that you know, there was, there was a time, the, the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and still some now, this happens, there, and there are a lot of short books that used to be written where individuals would do this, and that is what we call the, the, uh, the testimony when an individual came to know Christ. So the way, it would, the way that it, would, it would work is, let's say the individual was a hitman for the mob, which is kind of makes you kind of notorious, and you become a believer. And everybody says, whoa, this guy's life has really changed, which it has, and that's a great thing. So then they, so they, they might even write a book about how Christ changed their life. The problem with that is often, not always, but often, 
let's say that the book is 300 pages long. 275 pages, oh yeah, I was bad. Everybody was afraid of me. I did this and I did that. And you talk about how, in other words, you're, you're kind of taking glory and all of your sin and how bad you were and that you were on the FBI's most wanted list for 10 years and they couldn't catch you because you're so clever or whatever it happens to be. And then, and then one day I got arrested with a jail and I became a believer. And that's it. That's not a good testimony. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to explain what your past was like. That's not wrong. But you don't want to brag about it, right? You want to make sure that the glory really goes to who? Christ. And so it's about what he did for you. You can talk about that you were stubborn and that you were this and you were... You can talk about all those things. But you don't have to brag about all your crimes. You don't have to go... You don't have to say, well, you know, I was a hitman for the mob and I killed 98 people. Let me tell you about it. And you go through all 98. Okay, that's... All right. Clearly who you're talking about yourself. So it's never wrong to brag about what the Lord has done. You want to make sure that that's what you're really doing. And we're good. All right? Okay. Now, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. So, because what we've just gone through is true, what you set your minds on, again, it's because we, our life is hidden with Christ, because Christ is my life, because Christ is going to appear, because I'm going to appear with him in glory, because that's been true, because I've been, and all that's true, because I've been raised with Christ, so I set my mind on things that are above. How do I, so as I do that in practical day-to-day living, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So now he wants us to think specifically about the way we live. And what, so the word earthly is used in contrast with that which is heavenly or with that which is godly. And so I need to make sure, when he says put to death, the idea is you, want to, you don't want to feed these passions. That's, that's the thing here. You don't want to feed them. Okay? So uh, um, in prison... Uh, most individuals who have been arrested for uh, sexual crimes against children will go to a special prison because if they go to a normal prison, they'll be killed. Right? So it's for their safety. However, in these prisons, many, and I don't know what the percentage is, but many of the inmates who have been found guilty of these crimes against children really love to tell the stories of what they did. They, they, they're rehearsing in their minds their sin. And they do that on a regular basis. So when they do that, what they're doing is they're still feeding their unholy passions. Right? Because they're dwelling on that. Okay? And that's why sometimes there'll be other individuals who are guilty of the same kinds of things. They want to listen because it feeds their unholy passions. Individuals who, are, who may be in the same prison who aren't in there for that, they just don't want to hear that. Now you know, just get up and say, look, dude, don't talk to me about that. Or, you know, they'll tell it. If you talk to me about that again, I'll hit you in the face. You know, they just want to hear it. All right, so there's this this thing that we can do in our lives with our behavior, with what we watch, with what we consume, whether we're reading or watching, whether it's stuff on the phone or stuff on the computer or on TV or whatever it happens to be. The kinds of things we consume can feed our unholy passions. Okay, our passions become unholy because they drive us. So he tells us to put these things to death. So you put things to death in in two ways. Number one, you don't obey when it comes to temptation, and you don't provide for them by feeding them. All right? You don't do that. 
um, because it makes things worse. It makes it more difficult. So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's going to tell us. Number one, sexual, sexual immorality. So sexual sin is a real big deal in the Bible. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of verses about sexual immorality. One of the main reasons for that, I believe, is because it's a huge problem. Okay? It's a gigantic problem in the human being. All right? In the individual, in, in our culture. It's just the way we relate to a lot of things. It's just, it's there. And it's a very strong drive that we have. Now, we need to remember that the Bible is not saying that sex is wrong. It's not wrong. It's not immoral. However, every good thing that God has created, man has corrupted because of sin. Okay? So, like, for example, when it comes to food, food is good. Food is terrific. And at times, eating a lot of food is wonderful. But if you eat a lot of food every day, that's sinful. Right? It becomes gluttony. Right? So that, there's a problem there. So it's a good thing that God's given us. We don't want to become sinful with that. Okay? So when it comes to sexual immorality, it's just, it's really, the rules God gave are really pretty simple. You can have as much sex as you want with your wife or your husband. That's it. Simple rule. Everything else, taboo. Don't do it. It's got all kinds of problems. Number one, it's against God. Number two, it can, it can bring other problems in, into your marriage, things that you can't foresee. Um, in marriages today, I found to be true in all of my counseling, all the books I've read on counseling, all the other pastors and biblical counselors that I've talked to all agree that when it comes to marriages and when there's difficulties, it almost always come under three categories. Those three categories, sometimes there's more than one going on, but it's always those three. It's money, sex, and communication. Always. And money, sex, and communication. It's always that. And when it comes to that, communication is always the one that's in each one of those. There's a, there's a lack of communication, so there's a problem. Now we live in a society which, it, which, which basically idolizes what? Money, what money can do, and sex. Big time. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. So that creates a problem in relationships and in the marriage. And so because of that, we want to make sure that we follow what the Bible says. So God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not telling people that they cannot have physical relations. He's just said, this is the arena that you are allowed to do this because it glorifies me. It is for you. It's to you enhance your relationship with that individual. Now, I, I, when I was in the jail, I would, I would use this as, as an illustration all the time to remind them because we tend to think sometimes that these kinds of rules or commands are given to us because God or somebody wants to take away our joy. And I, guess, and I said, I can prove to you that rules enhance joy. And of course they are, they don't believe me. All right, so you've heard me use this before. I use it in a lot of different contexts. And so this is where I use the basketball game because they're all these guys, they want to pass time, they allow them to play basketball. So we're going to pick teams. And so I pick four of the biggest guys that are sitting in front of me. They don't have to be tall. I want big, strong guys. And you can pick whoever you want. And so we go out, we go into the gym, and we're going to play basketball, full court. You guys can have the ball first. No problem. So you come driving down. You pass the ball back and forth. You give it to some quick guy, and he drives right up towards the, towards the goal. He's going to do a layup. And when he comes there, I just take my forearm, boom, and knock him down. And they go, whoa, foul. In fact, that's intentional. You can't do that. I go, oh, 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 
calm down. There's no rules. What do you mean there's no rules? What I just said. There's no rules. Take the ball, walk away. Traveling. There's no rules. <laughs> Throw the ball to the other guy. We go down there. Guy goes to block your shot. Put the ball down. Boom. Push him away. Pick the ball up. We're winning 2 nothing. How much fun would that game be? It's not going to be fun. Especially with the guy that picked the best basketball players. My team's going to have a blast because all the basketball players are these little guys who are real, real quick. And my guy's just going to stand around and just oh, run around all you want. You know, you know, that kind of stuff. So what happens is the rules actually make the game fun. Every sport competition you play, what is it that makes the game fun or competitive? The rules. Because, we have, because the rules are designed to make sure that the playing field is level. We all have to abide by the same rules. And therefore, by doing that, then whatever real skill you may have in that game, whether it's basketball, football, golf, whatever, whatever you are able to, you could, that will be able to shine. And, you're, and then the team that plays the best together with a skill, et cetera, et cetera, then they're going to have a chance, most likely, to win the game. So the rules make it fun. So when it comes back to the sexual relationship, guess what makes it great? The rules. God wants, because he really does want, the sexual relationship to be an expression of love between those individuals. Absolutely. And so, uh, in one sense, we can say that it gets better and better. Uh, we, I don't want to get into too many details. If you need counseling, we can do that in private. But the idea is, is that it really is a very important aspect of the relationship. It's very important. And normally that's where Satan wants to attack. And he'll attack it in a lot of ways. Right? And so in some ways, you have couples, they don't have that relationship very often. That can be a problem. And then for others, whether it's because of that or some other excuse, you know, because of the society we live in, they start looking in all these other directions. And so here, what he tells us when it comes to this, put to death, sexual morality. So that's not telling you or me that you no longer to have physical relationship with your husband or your wife. That's not what it says. But this is a problem, all right, because it can destroy life. What's very interesting when it comes to that is most people, most people I think are aware of this, so they've heard of this, that if you smoke marijuana on a regular basis, one of the effects on you psychologically is it, ca it can cause you to become apathetic. You don't care about certain things as much as you used to. I've seen it in teenagers all the time. Take a straight A student who, let's say, loves science or loves math, and they're, they're into it. To them, homework is fun. All right, that, they start smoking marijuana. And also, that drive they had to make straight A's, eh, you know, well, you're getting a C minus, well, you know, no big deal. What happened? Well, now, there could be a lot of different things, obviously, that can make a person like that. They can be troubled home, whatever. But the consistent thing with the marijuana is that's what happens. You no longer have that drive for whatever it happens to be. It can affect a lot of different areas of your life. It just so happens that individuals who get caught up deep into sexual immorality, it's usually in the arena of porn, but they get caught up in it, guess what happens? They lose interest in relationships. They, they no longer want to put forth the energy that it takes to, to have a good relationship. Because good relationship takes energy. Right? If, you, if you're married, you, know, you and your, your spouse, you guys want to be, it's important to be really good friends. That just doesn't come naturally. You've got to work at that. You have to be cognizant of what's going on. Right? You, want, you want to serve them. You want to, you want to, you know, we, your whole life revolves around the us now, and that requires energy. 
And you can never, you can, in a sense, never take a day off when it comes to that. Not that you would really want to, because it's not, it's not slavery. Uh, but, you know, if you don't maintain your marriage like you're supposed to, then it can feel like slavery. And now we've got other issues. But the idea is that when individuals get involved in sexual immorality, you begin to lose interest in really developing deep, intimate relationships with anybody. And that's why one of the things we have going on in our society, which has been going on for a long time, is people have, what, multiple partners. Why are they doing that? Because they've reduced sex to being nothing more than just the act. And once you've been with one person, then it's only exciting if it's with somebody else, and then somebody else, and somebody else. And you begin to use people as objects. I don't care what they say. That's what's going on. All right? that, and that, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And you talk to people, and you get to the details of their life, and you begin to understand how they feel. And it's the result of all this stuff that's going on. So sexual morality is a huge problem. And it really is a real big deal. And that's why, just so you can be aware of this, as Christians, do not be afraid to talk about that with other people. Because it's on their mind. It's, it's, at least for many of them. It's a big deal. Right? And we don't want them to think that we think that somehow being prudish is the way to go. It's not. Now, that doesn't mean that we become individuals. That's all we talk about. Right? That's not what the goal is. But the goal is it's a very important part of life, clearly. And it, it can really mess up. Uh, it can have very bad or good benefits and effects on a relationship and on life in general. And it's, it's an aspect that God has created especially for marriage. There's not a whole lot of things that God has created that are only for certain relationships. And that's one of them for that marriage relationship. That's really very important. And so we want to make sure that the corruption of that, then we're also fighting against, and that's what that is. All right, so put to death sexual immorality. Then, he, then ne the next word is what? Impurity. Now, impurity is normally associated with sexual sin, but it's not limited to that. It can be a lot of things. But it does kind of broaden what's going on here because he's still talking about the passions uh, and things that we want to do, the things that, we, that, that, you know, we, that kind of draw our interest, whatever those things may happen to be. And so he, he wants us to know that he wants us to pursue purity, but he wants to make sure we're not pursuing impurity. Now, when you go through a list like this, remember that he's not saying that individuals suffer from all of these things. An individual can, but... The idea is all these things are viewed, in a sense, independently. They're not necessarily dependent upon each other. They sometimes are, or they're closely associated. Like, sometimes if individuals having problems in their life, maybe several of these things are all going on at the same time, but not necessarily. So an individual can pursue impurity. Like, there's, like there's individuals who, who um, for whatever reason, what, what really is entertaining to them is being cruel to other people or, or watching other people be cruel to each other. I don't remember seeing this. Have you ever watched? Sometimes it can be difficult to watch, but you, when you watch the news sometimes, there'll be like, there was, a, uh, a, there was a, a fight on a school bus. There's all kinds of fights on a school bus, but on this particular video, uh, it was uh, a very large 12-year-old boy, and he had jumped on a, I think a nine-year-old girl and was just, beating the heck out of her. I mean, he was up on the seat and he's doing this on her. And while he's doing that, the other kids are yelling with glee. And the more that goes on, and the more this individual is suffering, the more energy he gets. You see it in fights all the time. This guy, he's getting into it. That's, that's besides uh, being just wrong for hitting that girl that way, that would be, that's, a, that's an issue of impurity. He's feeding an impure passion 
for violence, for bloodletting, whatever it happens to be. That's what's going on there. And so there's, there's some issues uh, that are taking place. And, and that's, it's, it's one of the weaknesses of human beings. It happens all the time, right? In, in many, many schools, whenever there's a fight, it draws a crowd. Is people, are people trying to stop it? Not really. They're there, the phones come out, everybody wants to see it, and then they want to watch the fight again on their phone and then talk about it, and oh, that was, did you see that? I mean, they're, and they just, all this excitement is going on. With that. Man, that's, ah, there's, a, there's some issues there with that, all right? But it doesn't mean the individual's crazy, it doesn't mean they have a mental illness, it's the human condition. So impurity here um, is, much, is, is much broader than just sexual immorality. Then after that, he says, uh, put to death passion. So again, passion by itself, having a passion for something is not what he's talking about here. The idea here with passion is that, that we, it's a very strong, intense emotion that we just give into and follow. Right? And again, just because you feel strongly about something doesn't mean you should follow that. Right? We all have a lot of... In fact, one of the things that makes us I mean, one of the things that, that I believe that um, uh, reveals we've been creating the image of God and that we're not animals is that we have the ability to choose to go against the way we feel. So, for example, if someone is a lion tamer and you're at a circus, which they still have those, not many, and, the li- and there's a one part in the, in the thing where the lion tamer puts his head in the mouth of the lion. Now, I think in a lot of cases they've already moved the teeth, but let's say they haven't. Because it didn't always do that. You put your head in there, clearly that there's risk when you're doing that, okay? And then you take your head out, then the lion shuts its mouth. But the reason why buddy's watching is because what if the lion decides to close his mouth? If he does close his mouth and crushes the head of that individual, we don't say that's an immoral lion. We don't do that, do we? Because the lion is doing what is what? Instinctive. We don't really blame the lion. We blame the lion tamer for putting his head in the mouth of the lion. Right? But human beings, if you walk up to me and you start calling me names and even spitting, me, spitting in my face, and I then, and let's say you're smaller than I am, and I just punch you as hard as I can, some people say, yeah, yeah Bob shouldn't have done that. I mean, I know the guy was calling him names. I know the guy, but, you know, I mean, Bob's way bigger than that guy. He shouldn't have done that. Now, I'm, there are those who think I'm acting immoral. Probably I was. I didn't, there was other ways for me to handle that. That wasn't the way I should have done that. Why is it immoral for me and not for the lion? Because we're more than our instincts. So even though I have, so, even, so let's say this, this happening, this individual is yelling at me, calling me names, and I feel like hitting him, but I can choose not to. And I don't. It's because I made an image of God. I have that ability. We have that ability. And that's, what, that's why we hold people accountable for what they do. Right? I think I told you before the time when this guy was being sentenced and he comes up before the, the judge and he, he'd been arrested several times for hitting his wife and beating her up. And so he was there for the fifth or sixth time. And so he's there to be sentenced. And so the, the judge says, is there anything you want to say before I sentence you? And of course, he wants to talk. His lawyer said, don't talk. The lawyer said, judge, I've told him not to talk, uh, but he insists on doing it. And so the judge says, you know, your lawyer's advised you not to talk. He says, yeah, but I got something to say. So to make a long story short, he said, he said, judge, if you were married to my wife, you would have hit her too. 
That's what he said. All right? So that's not a good way to begin. Well, actually, he actually began with, who gave you the right to judge me? But anyway, um, that's what he said. So the judge, you know, he's very, very calm. And then he said, he said, well, he said, I am grateful that I'm not married to your wife. He says, I don't know what kind of person she really is, but I'm, I, I love the wife and the woman I'm married to. He says, but I guarantee you this. I would choose not to hit her, no matter what she did or what she said, because you always had the ability to walk out of the house. You could have gotten in the car and driven away. He went through all these things he could have done, and you chose to do none of those. You chose to do this. That's against the law. That is immoral, and it's wrong. And so he sentenced him. So he got, I think by this time he was getting five or six years 40 there was actually which in one sense is kind of a lot compared to what most guys get for that which is not much of anything so that was a good thing so we have the ability to choose against our natural inclinations uh, and part of that's because we're created in the image of god so we'll stop there uh because there's some more terms that he uses uh that we want to make sure that we cover and, and give uh um, give good thought to so that we can understand what it is that we are to do as human beings as christians and how it is that we are to pursue and live the Christian life uh, and not give in to sin uh, and live, live a life that pleases the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, as always, we're grateful for your kindness and grace and again for the great words of wisdom and the truth that we see here in the book of Colossians. We ask, Lord, again, that you would continue to guide and direct us so that, Father, we may abide by your word, that these things may become living uh, truth to us and that, Lord, that we would embrace it that, Lord, it would uh, become an intimate part of the way we think and of the way we live, and that it would alter the way that we feel and the decisions that we make. I ask, Lord, now that you would keep us safe as we are dismissed from our time together. We look forward, Father, to gathering together again on Sunday, that we may gather with other believers, that we may seek to be encouraged by them and by you, and give you the honor and the glory you so rightly deserve. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.